the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Happy nearly weekend to you. Hope you have a great weekend, a holiday weekend, a great holiday weekend, Memorial Day. Uh, always a, a good one in terms of, I think it, it feels like it's always good in terms of the family. I hope people remember why we have it. Uh, and and that there is some time over the weekend to remember, especially those men and women who gave their life for us. But also it's, it turns into, I think, a time where not just for the military heroes, but the heroes in our lives and the people in our lives. So I hope people have a great weekend. Uh, it's Ed Martin. It's the Pro-America Report. In a few moments, we'll talk with Adam Andrzejewski. Adam Andrzejewski is, of course, the founder and president of OpenTheBooks.com, very helpful organization that shines a light on spending. He he has gone through all of California's government spending. He's gone through the amounts of money that our endowments of our big universities, the top elite universities have, uh, based uh, basically on the backs of the taxpayers, all kinds of things. We'll visit with him on OpenTheBooks.com, his website, and what they're up to right now. They've got more news that's breaking, and I'll be looking forward to hearing uh, from Adam. He is a super, super guy, uh, a great policy leader. All right. What you need to know today, though, what you need to know today, I want to come back and circle back to a story that has received a little bit, well, it's received a bunch of attention briefly a couple days ago, um, but I want to put it in context, Okay. A, a Florida Congresswoman, Anna Paulina Luna, a freshman, filed a uh, a set of uh, House filings, a resolution uh, in the House. I think she might have even filed uh, an art, uh, the uh, motion, uh, the, the, the documents for a motion to expel um, Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff of California, who is now running for the U.S. Senate. He's a he's a racist bigot, by the way. He's a racist bigot because he's running against a black woman, Barbara Lee, Congresswoman from California, who it's her turn. I mean, this is how this game is played, right? If you're a white male adam schiff is why is he running against a black woman this is insulting it's insulting to uh everybody right but anyway back to my point adam schiff it has been shown especially in the durham report but also in other places that he was one of the most egregious liars of the russia hoax he actually was constantly saying I know things because I'm on the intelligence committee and I've been briefed in these top secret hearings. Things are really bad. And and most of the time he was doing his lying sort of by omission, like saying things like this is really bad. The Russians are involved, all these kinds of things. And then I can't tell you more details because I'm not allowed to. But he basically was the front man for the Russia hoax. And so Congresswoman uh, from Florida, freshman Anna Paulina Luna, filed this resolution that would fine Adam Schiff $16 million. I think there was also a resolution to expel him. And based on what was found in the Mueller report and the Durham report, it's excellent. It's an excellent argument. It's gotten a ton of attention. It's out there. And that's all good. Here's the thing. 
if Adam Schiff were a Republican and it was, say, the Obama administration, he would have faced the scrutiny of Lois Lerner and the IRS. He probably would have faced the scrutiny of the FEC. He probably would have faced the scrutiny of the California bar. And I don't agree with weaponizing government against him, meaning the Lois Lerner stuff was just illegal. But I do agree with making participants in this period of time, in this moment in history, people that are absolutely positively doing damage to us, that they should pay a price. The price should be everything possible. Public uh, accusation with backup, public censure with backup, house resolutions with backup. Adam Schiff is a lawyer in California. He's a California bar member. I think he should have a his bar license challenged. He should have his status as a uh, a a, um, a Stanford alumnus in good standing challenged. He when you're an inveterate, I'm not saying somebody that's just wrong politically. I, I don't even think. Look, I think if you're a, a baby killing murderer, meaning that you're an abortionist, I think you should face. Uh, 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 um, uh, legal challenges because you're killing life. But if you're just wrong, if you're someone who thinks, hey, we should raise taxes, I think that would be good. I think that's really problematic, but that's not something that you should be publicly censured for. But if you're Adam Schiff and you participated in what can only be described now as not a soft coup, but a real coup, where President Obama, Vice President Biden, Susan Rice, others, Hillary Clinton, were involved in an effort to lie about what was going on to either beat back candidate Donald Trump in 2016 or damage his presidency, which is what really happened because he won. And Adam Schiff was the spokesman for this. And he was lying. And he knew he was lying over and over again. Look, right now on the left, being a liar, see Clapper, see Brennan, see Schiff, See Swalwell, see Pelosi being a liar on the left doesn't mean you pay a price. Joe Biden's a liar now. He's been lying. Well, he's been lying a long time, but he's lying a lot now as president about what's the real threat in this country, about what Donald Trump is about, all these kinds of things. But being a liar on the left means you get tenure and better jobs and you get all kinds of rewards. Being a participant in the American Republic on the right, and you're going to find bar complaints, lawsuits, lawfare, public censure, CNN harassing you, and on and on and on. And my point is only this. The, the battle right now, the, 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 the cost to individuals for being participants in this very high level of, of, uh, of political combat, the cost to individuals is asymmetrical. If you're on the right, you're paying a big price. Your career's impacted. Your kids are impacted. Your kids' chances of college, your, you know, your, your, your spouse's chances of, 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 of advancement in their job, all impacted. On the left, rewarded. The U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, who has been a rabid January 6th conspiracy theorist, has pursued far too, in my opinion, far too aggressively crimes and sentences and all the rest. His wife makes a half a million dollars from a nonprofit called the National Women's Law Center, which spends its time maligning Clarence Thomas. Now, I don't think that's illegal. I do think it's unethical. 
I do think it's inappropriate. I do think that the D.C., the United States attorney for the District of Columbia, he should not have his family members in front of the Supreme Court acting like that. But again, I'm not saying it's illegal. I wouldn't arrest him. It looks like they might. If you're on the left, if you're on the right and then left sees you, they might arrest you. They might sentence you like Stuart Rhodes got sentenced, one of the Oath Keepers, to 18 years in jail, nonviolent, not enter the Capitol, none of those things. And you're somehow dramatically charged with all of these crimes and then 18 years in jail because you're on the right. I, I mean, again, it's um, you could run over somebody and kill them in a lot of jurisdictions right now and you wouldn't get 18 years. And the reason why is because they lie about it. They lie about the they use rhetoric. They lie about the narrative and they shape what we're seeing and doing and what's happening. It's a very, very uh, frightening uh, time. It's a very concerning uh, time. So when you look at this and you see Adam Schiff gets a little bit of attention, I I was on a radio interview and someone said, oh, this is outrageous. You know, she has no chance of success. Uh, You know, the congresswoman is not going to win Anna Paulina Luna. She's not going to win this vote, et cetera, et cetera. My answer was, it's not about winning the vote. It's about highlighting the issue. It's about making clear what's at stake. And frankly, I hope the voters of uh, I hope that the voters of California care about Schiff. They might not in the primary. He might win votes. Because he may be able to say, look at me, I'm, I'm a guy that's, uh, you know, uh, on the on the crazy side of things and help him in the primary. But we should have more people willing to be aggressive about raising the cost. Not, by the way, never violent. I don't like using government against people if it's not appropriate. But if it's appropriate, bar complaints, ethics complaints, television uh, coverage, uh, editorials, books written. There ought to be books written on the crimes of Adam Schiff. And there ought to be people buying the books so that publishers want to publish them. Right now, you want to do a book. If you're Obama, you get $10 million to do a book. If you're uh, a, a moderate, you get $10 million, millions of dollars to do a book. But if you're a conservative, where's the books? Where's the books by uh, the guys that actually hung in uh, you know, and actually did the work on the right? Instead, you're having Clarence Thomas and his family targeted over and over and over again. What you need to know is we need more people willing to stand up and say what's true about our opponents, no matter what people say about them. And I salute this congresswoman from Florida, Anna Paulina Luna, for what she did. So that's what you need to know. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we will talk with Adam Anjevsky. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while since we talked to our old friend, Adam Anjevsky. Adam Anjevsky is the founder and the CEO, the head of OpenTheBooks.com. OpenTheBooks.com. You go there. It's almost, uh, if you're like me, it's a, it's a uh, haunting website because I get pulled in. I'm like reading all about the, the endowments of major, our, our wealthiest universities. They've got, uh, he's got some of the data there. He's got California spending, all different kinds of things. Well, I got a press release from his team the other day and I said, let's see if I can get Adam on because they have, um, um, looked at federal spending. So openthebooks.com, transparency portal. They go out and find out what's being spent. They put it up in a way that you can see, but also they do analysis. So here's the one. The feds last year, the federal government spent $2.7 billion, almost $18,000 per child uh, for unaccompanied minors 
at the border. Now, I get, let me, I'll break this out with him. It's, it's back over the last decade or so. It's a total of $13 billion, but it accelerated last year. So first of all, let me welcome Adam Andrzejewski to the program. How are you, sir? Well, I'm doing well, Ed. I've, you know, over the course of the last two years of the Biden administration, this unaccompanied minor children problem has ab- absolutely exploded. 260,000 unaccompanied minors at the border. Uh, look, this is a human health catastrophe. It's overwhelming systems. The bad actors are gaming the system for human trafficking of these children. And our federal agencies, they cannot defend or support with services such a gross number, 260,000 minors that have that have crossed the completely crossed the uh, southern border. Where, where, Adam, where does the number, where do the numbers come from? And meaning when you go to look at this, is this a number that's, that's, uh, in, uh, homeland security? Is it a number that's customs of borders? Is it a uh, social services? And, and is it, is it complete? Do you think? Do you know? So it's a number that comes out of the Depart- U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. There's a subdivision called Office of Refugee Resettlement, and they handle the program for unaccompanied minors. And so the numbers actually come from their website. And so over the course of the past decade, you know, we pulled the federal grant funding into that, into the nonprofit organizations from that unaccompanied minors children program. And it's a staggering amount of money. It's $13 billion over the course of the last 10 years. It's, you know, it's a staggering amount of money per child. You know, just just last year, it was $18,000 per unaccompanied minor. Most of these children came across the southern border in Texas. So we took a look at the amount of money that the state of Texas spends on average per pupil in the classroom in the K through 12 schools, and it's less than $10,000 per student. So we're spending about double for every single unaccompanied minor. And make no mistake, Ed, this is the law of unintended consequences. This is what you get. You get 260,000 unaccompanied children coming across that border in the last two years because of the open borders policy and a lack of enforcement on the border from the Biden administration. This is on them. Uh, Adam, it's um, it's the, 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 so this again, we're talking about Adam Andrzejewski and his open the books dot com, his organization. Does, did this, this came out a couple days ago. I don't think I'm, I'm on the, on the actual right on the first day of this. So did this one get attention? I know you've been masterful, you know, for, uh, many years at getting attention on some of these issues. You know, you have the, the, your team, I think, and you, you, hey, hey, look at this. Did this one get attention? I, I'm, I'm fascinated by how often the border issues are ignored. I mean, this is a, this is a concrete, you know, when someone says, we don't know what happens to the people when they come, we don't know what happens to the unaccompanied minors. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know this. In this case, we know something. This is a data point. Did this get any attention, any pickup, any response either from the media or from the policymakers or I don't know, does the white house have a press guy email you and say, cut it out. I mean, anybody responding to this? This has gone to the proper House Congressional Oversight Committees. They're highly interested in it. This is the first time that numbers have actually been put on it in terms of federal grant making over the course of the last decade, last year. So you properly mentioned in my introduction that it was $2.7 billion last year. The B is a staggering amount of money. That was up year over year by $1 billion. So, Ed, over the course of the past two years, 4.4 billion of taxpayer money has gone 
to care for the unaccompanied children that have been that have come across without guardians, without caretakers across our southern border. This is a human health catastrophe. It's overwhelmed the entire system. And now we have congressional testimony that the bad actors have completely gamed this system. You know, they are bad actors are actually sponsoring out these children from the federal agencies and trafficking them. Hmm. Is um, uh, uh, our, our guest is Adam Manjewski and Adam, uh, founder of OpenTheBooks.com. He's been a guest before again, and on that website, you'll see lots of stuff that's really interesting. It's a, it's a very very helpful resource. Um, Adam, in your experience, when you see something like this, I mean, you started to mention the the cost comparison. If you'd put every kid in school uh, in Texas, it was about half as much as it looks like the federal government was spending. But there's also um, a, a sort of um, related i if we were if we just thought this was an economic impact statement and we're like oh look at how much money's being uh, generated but what we know is that there's lots and lots of entities that are uh, alongside the government and you know i think you and i could spend a, a a show or two on groups like catholic charities in in some communities that that get a lot of federal money uh, to do things that are alongside this is that is it likely that there's a whole bunch of other federal dollars that you you know you ne- don't necessarily see yet because what you were looking at in this case was the was the uh the stuff that's coming from the specific parts of the government uh in the US Department of Health and Human Services they have a refugee resettlement uh a department is there is there a chance there's more uh, uh, in your instinct is that is it likely that there's a lot more spending alongside it well there is there's so this is completely the U.S. government grants to those nonprofit organizations. Oh, this includes that? This includes that? Well, it's only the grants. So you oh. actually have the other side of the equation. You've got the whole federal infrastructure and their agency budgets that actually uh, support all these different programs. That would be the extra cost. So you're I right. It's not the total cost of you know uh, taxpayer money helping unaccompanied minors. Make no mistake. I mean, have to take care of the children under 18 that are coming across the border. You have to you have to make sure that they're housed, educated, you know, that they have the advantages of legal services and the soft social safety net. They cannot take care of themselves. But the system is failing them. The director of this program last month, just in front of Congress, couldn't answer basic questions. There are now at 85,000 of these minors that they don't know where they're located within the country. They have lost these minors within the borders of our country. Uh, they're supposed to check in on monthly wellness checks. There's 85,000 of these uh, sponsors that aren't picking up the phone. So our agencies have no idea where they're at. Uh, Adam, again, back to my question uh, a little earlier and I'll say it point blank. Um, this looks like a horrendous problem that should be a data point. I know you said the House and the Senate or the House, some of the House oversight committees are interested in at the U.S. House. They're saying, hey, wait, let's look at these numbers. Any media pickup? I mean, th- this is yeah. this becomes this becomes the th- this becomes a, a clear indication of if you want to if you just want to go to it, it bleeds it leads kind of coverage. You can say it, when you can't find a bunch of uh, uh, children, they're being uh, some percentage are being trafficked, right? Or when you can't find a bunch of people, some percentage are being left in poverty that's below what we should have. Whatever. But there's lots of ways you can make it make it sound dramatic. Uh, uh, this is an, a data point of a problem. It, is the media? You, the you know the, the broadly speaking are they seeing this 
Well, uh, you jumped on it right away, Ed. So we broke this yesterday. I'm on the radio with you today. Earlier this morning, I did the National Desk at Sinclair Broadcast Group. They own 200 ABC, NBC, CBS stations across the country. On Monday morning, you know, I mean, now we're into a Memorial Day weekend, unfortunately. But on Monday morning, on Memorial Day, I'm on Newsmax, Wake Up America program on this topic. Um, we're I, I'm doing other TV on it uh, today. So... You know, Somewhere. I think it's going to be an absolutely huge story, and and I think we're just getting started on the exposure. Okay, well, that's good. That that's what I wanted. To, I, I, that's my encouragement. I mean, it's one of the reasons I jumped on it when I saw it. I thought this is one that you got to start moving, and you know, whether it's only in in the more conservative sides. Although half the time when you're looking at this, there's plenty of reasons for Republicans, not just Democrats, to say we failed or someone failed. So that's one of Adam Andrzejewski's uh, strengths in his group. It's um, you don't have to pick a side; just open the books. So openthebooks.com. Right. Hey, Adam, thank you for making the time. Good luck with everything. Uh, have a great uh, weekend. I'm glad. I'm sorry you're working, but I'm glad you're going to be working on Memorial Day, getting the word out. Absolutely. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for the platform here to help educate the American people. Great. Adam Andrzejewski, everybody, uh, go to openthebooks.com, check it out. I'll put a link uh, to uh, this story and uh, to this uh, to the coverage of this, and we'll stay on it. So uh, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's a couple of years ago now, a couple of years, more than more than one, maybe two. Uh, retired Colonel John Mills came into and see me at my office. We had spent some time together, uh, broke bread, and he talked about his efforts, his focus, which was on going out and saying, hey, in the local community, county by county, you can build relationships. He had his own experience in his home county uh, with his local elected official. He recounted that, being able to influence him by saying, hey, pay attention to this, uh, not influence him by saying, you know, do what I want. But, uh, hey, look at this. Look at what it means and how does it fit together. And so uh, uh, Colonel John Mills went on and he wrote a book, uh, and the book is called The Nation Will Follow. Uh, he's gotten a ton of attention for that, been around the country speaking. You see him somewhat frequently over at the war room, uh, Bannon's war room and other places. And uh, unfor- <laughs> we we're just talking off the air. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, uh, by the way, the nation will follow dot com is a place where you can go buy the book. And uh, the the um, the uh, uh, subheading is the first is first hand experience. His the nation will follow first hand experiences fighting the deep state and uh, um, retired uh, uh, Colonel John Mills is our guest. Uh, welcome back. How are you, sir? And thank you so much. An honor to be with you uh, on your show. And yeah, that's a, you know, we have four, uh, I didn't mention that we have four felony indictments uh, based on that county action model, two in Virginia and two someplace else. I'm not going to go into specifics. Sure. Uh, we got Eric, uh, we got Virginia out of the Eric system. Yeah. Uh, had a lot of successes. Yeah. Pa- uh, let me pause and let me, pause, but I want to, I want to cover that one. But first I want to ask you about this. Um, we were talking off the air. Um, you, you are on the list, uh, uh, you were, you were in the list of the, the Twitter files, I guess it's called, or, uh, targeted. Um, what did that, what do you think that meant? I, I mean, what does it mean to you? Well, 
it validates some of the things I said in the first book, and we got book two, Fighting the Deep State, coming out in the fall. But it means, and now that we have FBI Special Agent Elvis Chan in court testimony in the Missouri and Louisiana case against DHS, that the U.S. government has been coordinating a censorship campaign with big tech. And uh, it's shameful. And they have this customer access portal where government agencies, it appears, can reach in personally and essentially identify, throttle down people they want to censor. So this is an absolute RICO act, out of control, U.S. government colluding with big tech. This is the deep state colluding with big tech to silence American citizens. This is absolutely shameful. Uh, Colonel John Mills is our guest. Again, his book, his first book, The Nation Will Follow. Uh, go to thenationwillfollow.com. The As he mentioned, he's got another one coming out in a few months. Uh, we'll have you back to talk about that. But uh, now back, for, let, me, let me say for a second, uh, when we were, again, exchanging texts, I think it was, um, you had, again, you had uh, in your home state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, you went and you you talked to the Virginia Attorney General. Um, you briefed him, I guess, on these issues. But Virginia is pulling out of Eric. Now, this is a trend across the country, but you still got to get people and states to do it. Tell us what how it played out in Virginia. Is it as simple as the Republicans won? They took a hard look. There's other places where Republicans win and they don't get out of Eric. So walk us through what it is, what that means, how you see it play out and how maybe there's lessons learned for the next place. Thank you, Ed. Well, I wrote a top 10 best practices for the county registrar and the state briefed the attorney general right after the November uh, elections of last year. And uh, point seven was Eric. And I studied Eric. There is no legal obligation or requirement that uh, Virginia stay in this this nonprofit consortium that uh, allegedly does the voter rolls. Uh, Essentially, uh, it's subcontracted out. The state surrenders sovereignty. I looked at it as attorney general. There is no legal reason. Uh, Governor Youngkin has inherent uh, authority to take us out uh, of uh, of Eric. And so they 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 pondered it, chewed on it and said they took action. And so we're now the eighth state to leave Eric. Eric, as soon as you talk about the nonprofits, which are mostly an extension of the of the blue team, uh, grab their IRS form 990, their, their required statement at the end of a year. And I looked through that for Eric and several things immediately popped out at me. And so I said, this is this is this doesn't make any sense. And that's why I told over uh, communicated with the attorney general and said uh, uh, and the staff and said, you know, we need to be taken out. So we had a second dialogue and and then they, they, they ran it. Decision was made and they took uh, took Virginia out of Eric. Most places, it's not a legal requirement. They just made a decision to, to come into Eric. How how what was the what was the rationale for it? If you go back and look at it, and again we're talking with uh, retired Colonel uh, John Mills, and his 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 expertise is in uh, in the military, included sort of information in, uh, and uh, and how to say I guess intelligence work, all this stuff. What did what was Eric supposed to do, and what do you think it's 
done? I mean, you know, from the beginning, was it just a, a, a ruse? I mean, walk us through exactly what they purport to do and what you think is the uh, is the problem. And we should say to people, uh, and I'll put up a link up there. Uh, it's about two weeks ago that Virginia uh, became uh, stepped out of it. They call it a voter data partnership is what Eric it stands for the Electronic Registration Information Center. But what what do you think this was and is and what's a, what, what's what's going on here? Well, just like the 2002 Helping Americans Vote Act, never, ever trust a nice sounding initiative (laughs) or piece of legislation. Right. Because this was a fraud and it surrendered sovereignty uh, and and responsibility of the state. The Center of Election Maladministration, the the key term is maladministration, is the voter role. That is one of the key centers of gravity. The threat always evolves over time. It's a voting role. These are huge, complex databases, which you essentially, the state says, okay, hey, Eric, you manage it for us. We just, we can't do it. You do it for us. Well, what do you think is going to happen? So there's a number of documents I've written. I've placed it on Colonel Rhett John, my Substack account, Colonel Rhett John. And I've gone through the analysis of these, these systems and and that's where I said there is the state has to inherently and directly be involved in the management of voting rolls. They can't just cede it to a third party who we know nothing about. And uh, you know, this is just at the federal level. We have federal officials sign uh, legally sign for responsibility on uh, accuracy of large data sets. We don't right. do that in most states. Well, you know, I heard the, I heard the, 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 I've repeated it a bunch of times. I don't know who to give credit to, but you know, we've watched uh, now the Durham report. We've watched the Mueller report. We've watched the January 6th select committee, all these fraudulent institutions. We've watched the, you know, the, uh, the so many institutions in our country that are, um, corrupted, uh, at least a small C corrupted, meaning they've gone away from their mission. You know, you got woke military, all this stuff. And somehow we're supposed to be told, you know, we're supposed to believe that in 50, states the institutions of elections was run perfectly perfectly this is in 2020 perfect elections nothing wrong and one of the things you guys you point out is the, the connectivity there or these partnerships with nonprofits. uh you know what would you prefer we're talking with colonel uh, john mills what would you prefer the next steps to be in terms of getting to the bottom of this it's one thing to pull out of eric but it's not as clear to me that the influence of these partnerships of the money of the people in office is ending right so what's what's next is there something you look up and say huh i wish the house uh, u.s house was doing it or maybe because of your uh work uh, and again the nation will follow dot com is a book about the nation will follow uh that book maybe it's local maybe it's county by county that's your assertion uh, or that's your lesson early maybe that's your assertion now but what would you like to see happen with some of these massive massively managed connected entities, nonprofits? Well, at the local, 95% of us need to spend 97% right on our county and getting your states out of ERIC, uh, making sure you have uh, direct by name accountability of your your county and state officials uh, that will be, can be held accountable for uh, making sure you have a clean process. And if not, they, will, they can be brought to court. That's the local fight. The national fight is is really we, the Durham investigation. It corroborates a number of points in the story. It corroborates 
the Russia hoax was a Russia was a hoax. Factually, it is now documented. It was a fake. It documents that the intel community assessment that uh, Comey and Brennan ran in November, December of 2016 was a fraud. Comey and Brennan need to be charged with false statements by a, a federal official. And there's five referrals out of the Durham investigation, one of which includes Georgia Tech, uh, very likely the names I provided uh, are part of that specific referral, but there's four other referrals that are very interesting. So this isn't over. Durham was able to get this out despite a front office that wanted to bury this and hide this. So ladies and gentlemen, look at the Durham uh, as a as a victory. Um, this was huge. And it also, we need to totally uh, start over with our law enforcement and intelligence community. This means a modern church commission, a detailed analysis, bottom to top, top to bottom, to redo the entire federal law enforcement and IC because it's become so politicized, so weaponized. It is, um, I, I don't mean this lightly, an enemy of the American people. The, mm-hmm. the American people own this government, not the other way around. Colonel John Mills, retired uh, colonel, uh, has been our guest. Uh, again, um, the uh, website is thenationwillfollow.com to find out more about his book and about uh, his uh, pathway to local impact, impact generally and local. And the next book is called, uh, he's working on to be out in the next few months, The War Against the Deep State. So thank you, uh, Colonel Mills, as always. Thanks for taking the time for reaching out and staying in here on this uh, slog. It's not, uh, you know, I, people think, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get the one slam dunk. It'll solve everything. We'll get the one grand slam well you got to hit a lot of singles you, you know you got to make a lot of plays before you can get to the the key play and uh, you're doing that so thanks for taking the time and when you were a huge help uh, help and a big part of it thank you for your friendship and mentoring i i, I really appreciate it thank you well you're kind of say colonel john mills we appreciate him very much and we will uh, put up on social media links to his Substack as well as to the website uh that uh, covers his book and you'll see within that uh, lots of action steps one of the smartest things about uh, john is he tells you things to do steps you can take not just you know yell at the fading light uh of, of the city on the hill but here's what you can do to save it so uh very helpful we'll take a break and be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report we'll be back in a moment this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly now the president of phyllis schlafly eagles ed martin after two years in the oval office president biden has finally used his veto power for the first time can you guess what legislation he stopped in its tracks house joint resolution 30 would have condemned a move by the Department of Labor to push ESG investing principles on American retirement accounts. ESG, which is short for environmental, social, and governance, is an investing philosophy which prioritizes a company's adherence to woke ideology over their ability to actually make returns for their investors. For instance, rather than investing in a more profitable company, an ESG fund looks for a company that focuses on climate change and diversity quotas. Facing the prospect of diminishing their life savings with bad investing philosophy, only the most diehard leftist would actually seek out ESG if they know what it means. That's probably why President Biden's statement on his veto focused less on making the case for why ESG is good and more on making the case for why he won't approve of anything that Republicans vote for. However, what Biden's statement conveniently left out is that the resolution didn't pass on a party-line vote. 
Even some Democrats are smart enough to know that a vote for ESG is a vote against the needs of their constituents. Democrat Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia was particularly vocal about his support of HJR 30 and his opposition to ESG, saying that the Biden administration continues to prioritize their radical policy agenda over the economic, energy, and national security needs of our country, and it is absolutely infuriating. This statement is not surprising coming from Senator Manchin, whose home state of West Virginia relies on the coal and natural gas industries. Under ESG, it would be a major faux pas to invest funds in even the most lucrative coal company, because that would not be in line with ESG's green energy agenda. Despite what the left may tell you, companies become profitable by meeting the needs of their customers. And President Joe Biden's commitment to wokeness before effectiveness is a major loss for ordinary Americans' retirement accounts, good companies, and the customers they serve. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. For the U.S. economy to flourish, free enterprise needs to be rewarded. Competition and capitalism need to be encouraged. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find alerts and strategies for strengthening our economy and standing against socialism. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, let me just finish with uh, today as you head into the weekend, hopefully having a great weekend. Um, Let me finish by explaining one line that I noticed in an article and it's excellent and people need to hear it. And it it has to it 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 also um, when I tell you this, it also is uh, the there are the exceptions that prove the rule. You know, that phrase Um, and the and and the saying that the, the, the sentence I saw is this is this as the saying goes, presidential campaigns don't end. They run out of money. Presidential campaigns don't end. They run out of money. This is Jonathan Martin in the Politico talking about the races to uh, block Trump, basically. And he's talking about Tim Scott. Tim Scott's got a billionaire, Larry Ellison, the Oracle founder, who's willing to spend tens of millions of dollars to prop up his campaign. Sitting Governor Ron DeSantis has uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, in part because when you're a sitting governor... Uh, of a state like Florida, there's lots of people that need to keep in, in your good favor. It's a powerful perch. And so and Trump has tons of money, too. Uh, but but in this case, the idea is uh, and now uh, the exception that proves the rule is someone like Trump in 2015 and 16 when he didn't have much money, but he had 100 percent name ID. RFK Jr. is the exception that proves the rule. He he is not going to need money. He needs a little bit of money, first of all, because he has his own money, hundreds of millions of dollars by most reports, but also he's got 100% name ID. And so he can go a long time, especially if he gets any attention. So in this case, the number of candidates who have the money to keep going, it's why Pompeo didn't run. Pompeo couldn't make an argument to people about the money uh, so that they would stay in for, you know, 50, 100 million dollars total. And so they're now wringing their hands, just like they did in 2015 and 16. And the, and the forces that are that want to be in charge, the kingmakers, are wringing their hands because they're saying, oh, man, here's Trump. And we've got too many candidates uh, running against uh, Trump to uh, to unify. I'm not sure it matters right now because it looks like Trump is about 60 percent in a lot of polls in a lot of places. But this does beg the question, you know, DeSantis starting slowly where his numbers went down. 
I, I, if his numbers were a little bit higher, I think there would be a, a real argument from people from the establishment to people like Pence to say you can't run because don't run. Well, no, don't run. You can't run, but don't run because you'll just be taking, you know, five or 10 percent and you're blocking the people, you know, the, 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 the uh, possibility of a candidate who can stop Trump. But I got to tell you, I did an interview on News Nation a few minutes ago. And on News Nation, I said the following, when they indict Trump again, he's going to get even more solidified. Because even though we all want to fight the woke corporations, even though we all want to fight the woke universities, even though we all want to fight all that wokeness that you see, the, the real forces of wokeness, the real forces that Republicans, especially and conservatives and Trump voters and MAGA that they feel is the swamp. And the swamp is all the powerful people from Brennan and Clapper to Obama and Clinton, plus the media. And so when you look up, you don't think, oh, wow, good. Somebody's taking on Mickey Mouse. I mean, it's pretty good. I'm not unhappy about uh, the Disney having to answer for its craziness. I'm not unhappy that there's boycotts of people like uh, uh, Anheuser-Busch for, for doing dumb things. But that doesn't really change the trajectory of what's happening. What changes the trajectory of what's happening is someone and a movement willing to confront the swamp. All the forces, again, from Brennan and Clapper to Obama and Clinton, from the courts of the D.C. courts to the Congress, the swamp. The swamp is making money off of us. They're gaining power off of us, and they're persecuting our people, our American people, not just conservatives, not just Republicans. That's what people feel. Nobody wants to fight the wokesters in uh, the suburbs or in the country until we drain the swamp. Drain the swamp is the thing that people want and feel every day. All right, let me say thank you again. Noah Dingley, our great producer. Ryan Hyde, our associate producer. And all of you for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Take some time to remember. We remember. I've always liked that phrase better than never forget. Some people talk about never forget, especially for 9-11. I like we remember, actively remembering the people who've served and people who died for us, people who died in those tragedies. We remember. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Have a great uh, weekend. Uh, God bless you. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back next week. is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.